Heavenly Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name with, with grateful hearts, Lord. We're here before you tonight, knowing, Lord, that you opened the way for us to be here because you have something for us. And so I lift up, Lord, each and every woman here asking that your Holy Spirit will be upon her, Lord, opening her heart to receive your word, Lord. And for me, God, that you would give me that wisdom as I, as I share those things that you've shared with me, Lord, that it would be um, a blessing to those who, who hear it, Father, that we can learn from, from Ruth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, if you like love stories and if you like romances, then you are in the right place tonight. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I hope you have some Kleenex handy because I don't know about you, but every time I read through this book, through the book of Ruth, my eyes kind of get a little bit teary as you kind of see this love story begin to unfold. And I can tell by looking at some of you now, you've got like kind of that dreamy eyes there, you know, I could hear you sigh. You're sitting there thinking about how God brought Ruth and Boaz together. But that's not the love story I'm talking about. That's not it. I'm talking about this love story that's between God and Ruth. Did you see that one? That's my question, right? Did you see that love story there? I mean, did it make your heart kind of just like, you know, go pitter-patter the same way, you know, that another one would? Because if you think about it, Ruth, at the beginning of this story, she goes from being this, this pagan, this young lady from a people who was cursed by God and then she ends up being the great-grandmother of King David, the greatest king of Israel. And then as you follow it into the New Testament, you see that she's a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so, I mean, I sit there and I just think, if that is not a love story, then, then I don't know what one is, you know. But the amazing transformation that happens in this book. And no matter how you look at the life of Ruth, it's an amazing story. And so there's always a challenge, okay, when you're going to teach something, how are you going to teach it? How are you going to approach it? approach the study and last week if you weren't able to make it the weather was pretty bad last week and stuff but Trudy gave the study on on Naomi and I'd really really recommend that that you could um, listen to it it goes hand in hand with tonight's study on Ruth um, and it has a lot of good background information and as I was listening to Trudy last week listening to her um, it really struck me the dialogue in this in this book just the dialogue is very very powerful and our words say so much about who we are that I decided that when I did the study tonight, I would focus on what we could learn about Ruth from what she said and also from what other people said about her. So that's going to kind of be our focus. But at the same time, I wanted to look at the relationships in the book of Ruth. And so we're going to do that. We're going to look at three relationships that develop, and we're going to look at them kind of through the dialogue. And those three relationships are Ruth and Naomi, Ruth and Boaz, and Ruth and God. So those are going to be the three relationships we look at. But as I said, we'll kind of do it by focusing on the dialogues there. And I hope you've been enjoying these studies of the women in the Old Testament as much as I have because we get a lot of positive examples. We also get some negative examples. But as you're kind of, you know, categorizing them, Ruth is definitely on the positive side. I think you would all agree with me. And there's so much that we can learn from her. Um, so hopefully tonight you'll find some qualities in Ruth's life that you would like to emulate in your own because I know that there are a lot of things here that I could see that that I could add to my life and so that first relationship we're going to look at is with Ruth and with Naomi and this is a, a little bit of background here I'm, I'm working on the assumption that you've all read through the book of, of Ruth we're not there's no way we can go through the whole book you know verse by verse here so um, if there's some gaps in there, you may want to go back and, and read it. But I'm working on that assumption that you, you're familiar a little bit with the book of Ruth. And it takes place during the time of, of the book of Judges. And if you remember, that was a really, really dark time in Israel's history. The last verse in the book of Judges says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But we have to remember that even during that dark, dark, dark time, God was at work. Because the Lord always has his remnant. He always has his, his people there. So in chapter 1, we see Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, 
along with their two sons, and they leave the city of Bethlehem because there was a famine, and they go to the, the country of Moab in search of food there. And Moab is about 50 miles from Bethlehem. And the Moabites descended from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his, his oldest daughter. And they became an enemy of the people of Israel. And they were even one of the nations that oppressed Israel during that book of Judges. So we saw last week, um, Trudy touched on how Elimelech, when he led his family down to Moab there, he did what he thought was best for his family. But he was still compromising. He was still being disobedient to God because he's moving his family to a pagan nation, and he's exposing his wife and his sons to, to unknown dangers and unknown pagan influences there. So we see then again at the beginning of the book that, that Naomi's husband died, and then her two sons got married. Her two sons married women there in Moab. One's name was Ruth, and the other was Orpah. And then during a span of about 10 years, as they were there in Moab, both of the, her sons also died. So immediately, right there in the beginning of chapter 1, by verse 6, She's a widow right there, and she has these two Moabite daughter-in-laws with her. Makes me kind of wonder, what was it that first attracted Ruth to Naomi's family? You know, we don't know that, but there had to have been something that caught Ruth's attention, because you have to wonder, why would she marry an Israelite? Right? What was it? And if any of you have ever been married to someone or seen a relationship where the two people come from two distinct cultures, you know, I mean, the complexities of marriage, but then you're adding a whole other layer on there when you get different cultures involved. So there had to be something in there that, that Ruth saw with Naomi. So then after the famine ended, after her two sons had died, Naomi decided to return to Bethlehem. And as she leaves, Ruth and Orpah actually began to go with her. And then Naomi turns around and tells them to go back. She says, return to your mother's home, thinking that maybe that way they can remarry, they can start a new life again. Now, when Naomi asked them to return to their mother's house, we have to remember she did it out of love for them. It wasn't that she didn't want them around, but she knew what it was like to be an, an, a foreigner, to be an alien in another land. She, it must not have been easy, and she had no future to promise them there in Israel. So when she asked them to leave, it wasn't um, anything bad on her part. It was her love for her daughter-in-laws that she said, you know, just stay here to be better for you. Now, Naomi said the same thing to both of them. I mean, both Ruth and Orpah heard the same thing. But I think it's interesting that they each responded differently. She, um, there in verse 14 in chapter 1, it says, They lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And then Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God, so return to her. One of the sister-in-laws turned back. And so Naomi's encouraging Ruth, Go back. Go back to, to your people, to your family. And Orpah did decide to go back. And if you think about it, you can't really blame her. It wasn't that she didn't love Naomi. But to leave her people, to leave her family, that would have been really hard. I mean, she had a better chance probably, as we said, going back to her own house there. But then Orpah goes back. And when, she saw, um, when Ruth saw her return, what was it that Ruth said? Do you remember those words? Because I told you we're going to focus on the dialogue here. And the first thing we find is in, in chapter 1 in verses 16 and 17. These are the words that Ruth said. And she said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more so if anything but death parts you and me. And I think you'll agree with me. Those are just some amazing words. And you kind of wonder, like, could I have ever come up with something like that? I mean, just something so profound, something at that moment, just so, so amazing. And I love the way that one Bible commentator put it. He said that Orpah wanted to be a wife again, 
but Ruth chose to remain a daughter. Orpah made a natural choice, but then Ruth made that supernatural choice. And I think that's what we see there. It wasn't anything you can't fault the one because she went back, but Ruth made a distinct choice there. And that really made me reflect. I mean, think about the impact of Naomi's imperfect example on Ruth. I mean, Ruth had, was impacted by Naomi's example. And even her example, which wasn't perfect, we know through Trudy's study last week that, that Naomi, I mean, she had her good moments and her not so good moments. But even that imperfect example, it was enough to make Ruth willing to forsake her family and her people and to risk going to Bethlehem with no guarantees of anything. And that was just that, that example that Naomi gave her. And, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I'm such a bad example for this person. You know, they're never going to come to Christ. And maybe you are being a bad example, right, at that moment. Maybe I am having, or I am, I'm having a bad attitude. Maybe my words were unkind. So we aren't being that good example at that moment. But the point is that as imperfect as Noemi's example was, she still influenced Ruth. Even with that imperfect example, Ruth still saw enough of God in Naomi to make her want to know this God for herself in a personal way. And it really made me think a lot about the parable of the sower. We know that one in the, in the New Testament, how the word of God is sown into different people's hearts. And because each heart is different, the, word is, the people are going to respond to God's word in a different way. And if you think about that parable, Ruth's heart definitely was that good ground where the word fell and it just gave an abundant, an abundant harvest there. And we have to remember what, what our pastor often tells us, that we are not responsible for how people respond to the message of the gospel. We're responsible to share God's love, to share his love through our words and through our actions. And we have to trust the Holy Spirit after that. So we have Naomi's imperfect example and just how powerful even that example was on Ruth. Now think about um, Ruth's words again, where she said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back. You go through that and you think about it. It makes, um, it makes you wonder, what do those words really tell us then about, um, about Ruth herself? Because Jesus tells us in, in Matthew, 4, Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So these words obviously came out of Ruth's heart. Those are very deep, profound words. And so they revealed to us what was in her heart. And what are some of those things in that we see in Ruth's heart? I think, first of all, you'll all agree with me, is that there was this love for Naomi. There was a love for Naomi. She said, don't ask me to leave you. Her heart was bound with her mother-in-law's. She was ready to stick by Naomi's side, come what may. And she wasn't going with Naomi to get something from her. I mean, what could an old widow offer her, right? So it wasn't, um, it wasn't a one-sided kind of a thing. In fact, Ruth was actually committing herself to take care of Naomi. So we see that love. And it's the same kind of love that Jesus talked to us about in John 15, in verses 12 and 13, where he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And although Ruth at that time, it's not like she was laying down her life or putting her life on the line in that way for, for Naomi, but she was laying her life aside for the sake of her mother-in-law. That's what she was doing. She wasn't going with the idea of Naomi taking care of her, but she was planning on taking care of Naomi. So we see those words show that love that she had in her heart. She also had a loyalty in her heart and a dedication to her mother-in-law. There once was a legal bond between them because Naomi had been her mother-in-law. And with that relationship, there are certain expectations that go along with that. They're put there by our society, by your culture. There are expectations between that relationship of the daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law. But at this point, Ruth is moving beyond that legal relationship, and she's doing a whole lot more than what was expected. She, made, she decided to be loyal to Naomi out of a sense of, of love and a friendship for her. 
So that's what, something we can see in that, those first words that Ruth spoke. But there are other um, places in the book where there's this dialogue going on between Ruth and Naomi. And we're going to look at that and see what else we can learn about the relationship between them. At the beginning of chapter 2, Ruth and Naomi are settled there in, settled there in Bethlehem. Excuse me. They're settled there in Bethlehem. And then Ruth speaks to Naomi and she says, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And this shows us that Ruth really meant what she said in chapter 1. Because in chapter 1, she said that um, wherever, she, Ruth, wherever Naomi would go, she would go there. And here she was now, ready to go out, ready to go into work and to provide <clears throat> excuse me, for the two of them. She wasn't going to sit around there and wait for Naomi to use her connections to get them something. She wasn't going to wait for the kindness of strangers to provide for them. But here in that verse, we see Ruth's work ethic, the work ethic that she had. Proverbs 26, 14, I'm sure many of you are familiar with this verse. It says, as a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed, right? We've heard that verse before, and there's nothing wrong with rest. We all need it, but we also all know the difference between rest and slothfulness. And if you don't, then just pray that the Holy Spirit will show you. I mean, like if you're kind of crossing that line and like, you know, relaxing too much or spending too much time there on the sofa or too much time in front of the computer, you know, kicking back and that he would give you that conviction because um, Ruth's example for us, definitely she was a, a very good worker. Proverbs 27, where it talks about, excuse me, Proverbs 31, verse 27. We talk about the Proverbs 31 woman, right? It says that she does not eat the bread of idleness. And Ruth is such a great example of that kind of a woman. So we see in, in that part where she asks to go out and glean, we see that work ethic that she had. Another interaction between the two of them, another time that Ruth and Naomi were talking, was down in chapter 3. Now in chapter 3, in, in verse 5, Ruth simply says to Naomi, all that you say to me, I will do. That's what she said to her. And so we have to kind of ask ourselves, what exactly had Naomi said to her? At this point, this is, was the point in the story where um, Naomi was trying to, to set up that kind of like that encounter between Ruth and Boaz. And so Naomi had said to Ruth to go wash, to anoint herself, to put on her best garment. And what she was basically doing is telling her to take off her widow's clothes. Because again, she had lost her husband. She was, had that kind, of, um, that kind of address. But Naomi is telling her here, you know, take care of you, you know, get yourself cleaned up. And by doing that, she was signifying that she was putting aside that time of mourning and that she was once again available for marriage. Then Naomi told her to go down to that threshing floor and to see where Boaz lies down for the night and then go in and uncover his feet. That is to pull his cover, like the cover off of him and pull the cover onto you. And then wait there and he'll tell you what to do. And that's when Ruth responded, all that you say to me, I will do it. Remember back in chapter one, she said, your people will be my people, right? That was the pledge that she had made. So then here where Naomi asked her to go to that threshing floor and uncover Boaz's feet and everything, even if she didn't fully understand all the intricacies of their culture and of their custom, she was ready to do what Naomi had asked her to do. And so here we see that respect that Ruth had for Naomi. She had a respect for Naomi's judgment because it was Naomi's pe people, it was her culture, it was her customs, right? And there was nothing disrespectful in what Ruth did because we can read it and it seems kind of strange to us, but there was nothing disrespectful in it. There were no sexual connotations. But by obeying Naomi's words, we see that Ruth really trusted Naomi. She trusted her and respected her judgment because she knew that Naomi would never put her in a compromising situation. And by following Naomi's instructions, we, which were those customs there of Israel, we see that Ruth was truly living out where she said that my people will be your people. 
So these are some things that we can learn about Ruth and her relationship with Naomi through that dialogue there. We see that Ruth had a deep love and she had a devotion for Naomi, a loyalty that was very, very strong, so strong that she forsook even her own family and her own people just so that she could stay with her. We also see that Ruth had that tremendous work ethic. She wasn't idle, she wasn't lazy, but she worked hard to provide for her own needs and also for the needs of her mother-in-law. And Ruth also had a great respect for Naomi. She followed her advice because she knew that Naomi gave it with Ruth's best interest in her mind. And these are really admirable qualities, even for us today as Christian women. There's a lot that we could learn from that relationship between Ruth and Naomi. The second relationship we want to look at is between Ruth and Boaz. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And you have to ask yourself if you really believe this. And I have to ask myself, do I really, really believe that, that all things work together for good? Because it's so easy to quote that verse when life is good. It's so easy to, to look at that. But what about when your world falls apart? Maybe you or your husband are suddenly laid off and now you're in danger of losing your home. Or it could be that your child walks away from the Lord and they make a foolish choice, which then impacts the whole family. Or maybe the doctor confirms your worst nightmare, that it's cancer and it's already spread. So then you have to ask yourself, well, where is the good that God's supposed to be working in my life, right, in those kinds of situations? And think about Naomi and Ruth, because how could anything good come out of the death of Elimelech and his two sons? Right? I mean, what's good about being a destitute widow? There's no good in that. In Proverbs 3, verse 6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. And what did we see in chapter 1? We saw that Ruth acknowledged the God of Israel. When she told Naomi, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So she acknowledged him. And here we begin to see that God is going to direct her path, just as he says he would in the scripture. So looking at the relationship then of, of Ruth and Boaz, there's kind of like two parts to their relationship. There's what happens in chapter 2 and then chapter 3 and 4 kind of go together. It's like two separate parts of that relationship. So looking first in, in chapter 2, again, we're focusing on the dialogue here. Um, at the beginning of chapter 2, it says, Then she left, so that's Ruth, and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. In, in the English, it says that you know, she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to him. And in the Hebrew, it literally says, Her chance chanced upon. And I think that's an interesting way. Because we, it's clear that her chance was under God's um, providence. So on her very first day of work, Ruth chanced upon a particular section of the outlying fields there of Bethlehem, and then chanced upon some property within that section, and then chanced upon a field within that property that belonged to Boaz, who was part of the family of Elimelech. Right? It's just how God's providence, how we see God guiding and directing. And when we commit ourselves to the Lord, he will guide and direct every single step we take. There are no coincidences in your life if you give your life to Christ. He will guide, he will direct, and set up those divine appointments. In Ruth's case, the decision to stop and glean in that particular field changed everything. I mean, imagine that, just that, that one choice to stop and glean in that field. So what are some of the words that Boaz spoke there in chapter 2? In chapter 2, he comes in, well, he's in Bethlehem, and the fields are outside the city. So he comes out of the city, comes to the field, to his reapers, and he says, The Lord be with you, right? A greeting that he gives to his workers there. 
Interesting to me, it was even during the dark time of the book of Judges, we see that there are people who follow the Lord because Boaz had that relationship with God. His faith was integrated into his daily life, and it was a part of who he was. He greeted his workers with that. So what about us? Is God a part of our daily life? Do my, do my neighbors, do my coworkers, do they even know I'm a Christian? Or would they be surprised to find out? You, really? <laughs> you know, is that, or, or do they know by what we say, right, what we do? So Boaz, had, he integrated God into his life there. And then what, what did Boaz say after he greeted those, his workers? He said, whose young woman is this? And that's kind of interesting because most of us would probably say, who is that young woman? But he says, whose young woman is this? Possibly indicating, like, is she, does she belong to somebody, right? Or indicating maybe that he had an interest in her. He's like, like, who does she belong to? And then he speaks directly to Ruth in chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. And he says, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field where they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. There could have very well been other people gleaning in the field at the same time because it was a very common practice. But um, there usually wasn't any interaction between the people who are there gleaning, the poor, the, the people, the widows and the orphans, right? They're out there gleaning. But to have that kind of an interaction would be very unusual. When he said, my daughter, he was showing kindness. But it also lets us know that there's a significant age difference between them for him to say that. And we see also that Boaz is very protective of her. He's very protective. He's also giving her privileges that other, ones, other people wouldn't have, such as going, drinking from the water that was drawn for the workers instead of going and dr- drawing her own water. And he invites her then to continue working there in that field. So how did Ruth respond to this kindness that Boaz extended to her? Well, in, in chapter 2 and verse 10, she said, it says, So she fell on her face, she bowed down to the ground, and she said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? You think about it. Ruth probably understood from the treatment that Naomi had received because Naomi was an alien in Moab, right? And so Ruth, seeing the treatment that Naomi had received as a foreigner, it probably gave her an idea she was going to be the foreigner when she went to Bethlehem. So she kind of prepared herself knowing I'm going to be the outsider. I'm going to be the foreigner. She knew what to expect, kind of prepared herself But instead, that's not what she found. She received kindness, a kindness that she never expected. And she didn't really understand why Boaz had spoken in this way to her. And we see in her response her humility here, a real sense of gratitude. There wasn't any sense of entitlement or anything, even though she knew that the law made that provision for them to go and glean. She was still very, very, very grateful for that opportunity. So we see Boaz's comments to her, and we see her response. There are some other words as we continue in chapter 2. There's more words from Boaz in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Um, Boaz answered and he said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and you've come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you've come for refuge. So he responds like that to her, and he blesses Ruth. He recognizes the full extent of what she had done, that her actions indicated it was more than just a love and a commitment to her mother-in-law. That was important, but there was more than that. 
because Ruth had stepped out in faith and put her trust in the Lord God of Israel. And here, Boaz becomes that vessel that God uses to pronounce a blessing then upon Ruth. And I thought it was interesting. Her past didn't matter to him. He knew that she was a Moabitess. And these people had been cursed by God for their treatment of, of the nation of Israel. But that didn't matter to him. All that mattered now was that she was trusting God. And ladies, I cannot emphasize to you enough. Don't let your past continue to define who you are today. Don't let your past define who you are. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Right? Don't let your past define who you are today in Christ. Just like she had a past, but Boaz, he saw her faith now walking in God, with God. And that's what mattered. And that's what matters for us. So don't let your past be what continues to define who you are today. Ruth responded once again to Boaz. And she said in, in chapter 2 and verse 13, she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your maidservant, although I'm not like one of your maidservants. And I wonder, what was Ruth thinking at that point? Because she didn't know who Boaz was right now. She had no idea. I mean, we know the story, right? We know the end. But put yourself in her place. Who she is, where she's at, what she's doing. This guy speaks to her, the kindness that he shows. And you think, what else could she say but just thank you? Which is what she's basically doing. Just her humility and her gratitude that she had there. And after that, she went back and continued working. The rest of chapter 2 then is kind of full with that. Um, it records... Her meal there, she sat down with the reapers. Um, she beat out the grain that she had collected. It was about an ephah, which they say is about six gallons. And for two widows, for the two of them, that would be several weeks worth of food. And then she carried that food back to Naomi. Now, we don't know what Naomi expected when Ruth came home. I mean, she could have been pacing all day, right, wondering what was going to happen because she didn't know. But you could tell by her reaction that she certainly didn't expect Ruth to come back with so much. And she was just very, very pleased and very, very surprised. And so she begins to talk to her daughter-in-law, and Ruth relates all the events of the day. And as soon as she mentions Boaz's name, Naomi begins to explain who he was and that significance of his words and his actions then that, that he showed towards Ruth, that he was a relative. And in their culture, in the law of Moses there, there were provisions made. God had made provisions for both property and also for a widow to be redeemed or to be bought back. And then um, at that initial meeting or that initial moment, as Naomi's going on explaining all this, Ruth may or may not have really understood the importance of everything that Naomi was explaining. But either way, whether she really understood it at that point or not, we know that for about the next seven weeks, that is through the barley harvest and through the wheat harvest, Ruth continued day after day to glean there at the fields of Boaz. And I just, I love what this one commentator said. It was great. He said, while Ruth was thinking barley... Naomi was thinking bride. <laughs> it gets better. While Ruth was thinking bread, Naomi was thinking wedding cake. <laughs> and while Ruth was thinking grain, Naomi was thinking grandma. <laughs> I thought that was just, that's it. Because you can just see her mind is just out there. And she's just, and, you know, like 20 steps ahead of where Ruth is at at that moment. But we see how God just takes it all. At, and little by little, how he brings his plan together there. So that's like that part of that relationship of Ruth and Boaz there in chapter 2. And then, as I said, the relationship with Ruth and Boaz, we also see it, but it's a little different now in, verse, in chapters 3 and 4. So kind of switching there to chapters 3 and 4. We already mentioned 
earlier when we when I talked about the relationship with Ruth and Naomi, we talked about how Naomi had instructed Ruth to go down to that threshing floor and to talk to Boaz there. So what was it that Ruth said to him when she was there? In chapter three and verse nine, she said to him, um, "Well, he well when he realized that um, that there was someone at his feet, he said, "Who are you?" And she answered, "I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative." And what she literally was saying there is, spread the corner of your garment over your maidservant. Okay? And here what she's doing is she's asking Boaz to do that duty of that kinsman redeemer. Because he was a relative. He was a relative of Elimelech. Boaz had the right, and actually more than the right, he had that responsibility to buy back that inheritance that had belonged to Naomi and to Ruth. The, the idea here, the presumption is that they had sold it. It could have been... Maybe when they went, they left Bethlehem to go to Moab. Elimelech could have sold the field to have some money to go with him at that point. Because it was a famine. Nothing was going to be growing there anyways. Or it could be when they came back to Bethlehem, possibly that she sold the field to get some money to help them sustain, to sustain them. But either way, at this point, there was some property that um, was out of their hands, but it belonged to them, to their family. And so Boaz had that right to, to redeem it, to buy it back. And by doing this, he would also take Ruth then to be his wife. So Boaz responds, and he says that he would do everything that Ruth had requested because all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. That's what he told Ruth. And that's such an incredible compliment, I mean, especially in the time that she lived in the, in the book of Judges there. Everyone knows you're a virtuous woman. I mean, imagine that Ruth, who's a foreigner, is held up as an example of virtue for all the children of Israel to see. It was an amazing woman here. In 1 Peter in chapter 5, in, in verses 5 and 6, Peter writes, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. And that's what we've seen here. We've seen Ruth's humility. And so now we begin to see how the Lord's going to exalt her. So Boaz mentions to her also that at this point there is another relative who's even closer than he is who kind of has the first option there to redeem that land. So he has to go and consult with this other man to see if he wants to redeem that land. So there in chapter 4, it begins with Boaz going to the city um, of Bethlehem there. He sits in the gates and he's looking for this guy so he can um, find out what the man wants to do. And so he finds the guy. He tells him about this field. And the man shows some interest, but as soon as he hears that if he redeems the field, he will also have to take Ruth as his wife, at that point he decides that he can't do it. And so there then, in chapter 4, in verses 9 and 10, that's where Boaz publicly buys back the field of Elimelech and his sons, and he also takes Ruth there to be his wife. And now in chapter 4, there is no dialogue with Ruth, because I told you we're going to focus on that. Um, the story kind of circles back around to Naomi there at the end of chapter 4 and how the Lord had blessed her with her daughter-in-law who loves her and is of more value to her than seven sons. And at the very end of the book of Ruth, we see Naomi becoming the nurse to a son named Obed. And that was the child born to Boaz and Ruth. And then there's a little genealogy at the end of chapter 4 there. And the gene genealogy of that child, we learn that Obed is the father of Jesse and then Jesse is the father of King David. And in the New Testament, you could extend that genealogy, and we see in the Gospel of Matthew that Ruth's name is listed there in that genealogy of Jesus Christ because he came through the, the family of David. So there are a lot of things that we can learn about Ruth um, through that relationship that she had with Boaz. 
One thing is that Ruth was being guided by God even when she didn't realize it. Remember that she just happened to come upon that field, right? And there are times when we don't sense God working in our lives or maybe in a particular situation. But just because we don't sense God, just because we don't see him working, it doesn't mean he's not there, that he's not working on our behalf. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God works in ways that we cannot understand. And that's where our faith comes in. And it, Hebrews eleven six reminds us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we see that Naomi was being guided by God even when she didn't realize it. And God will do that in our lives when we commit ourselves to him. The other thing we see about Ruth in that relationship with Boaz is her humble spirit that she had. She was an amazing woman, but it, it didn't go to her head. And even though, think about it, when Boaz singled her out there to show her favor, like we said, there could have been other people gleaning. He invited her to eat with them, which was something that they wouldn't have done. So he showed her a lot of favor, but she stayed humble in spite of that. And the Apostle Paul exhorts us in this area also, telling us in Romans 12, 3, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And it can be really difficult sometimes um, when you, you experience success in an area or if you have a particular talent. People will compliment you, and they do it to encourage us. But when that happens, we have to remember that it's all of the Lord. Because like Paul said, in me dwells no good thing, right? We have to keep that in mind. As James says in James 1, 17, every good and gift... Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. So that humility that Ruth had, in spite of all of um, the blessings that she had received, she stayed humble. And so we also, when God blesses us, we need to keep that humble spirit also. So we have the relationship with Ruth and Naomi, the relationship with Ruth and Boaz. And the third one I said we're going to mention is, is the relationship between Ruth and God. And I think you'll agree with me, this one should have gone first because the other two relationships, that is with Ruth and Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, they wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the, the relationship with Ruth and God. And I said I wanted to examine those dialogues throughout the book to learn about the relationships. And we did that, the part with Ruth and Naomi, the dialogue they had, the dialogue that Ruth and Boaz had. But there isn't any dialogue between Ruth and God, right? So in order to learn about that relationship, we have to look at Ruth's actions. That's how we can learn about that relationship. And it's like that for us too. Because our relationship with God, that's going to be seen through our actions. We're exhorted in James chapter 1 and verse 22. He writes, but be doers of the word and not just hearers, deceiving yourselves. So I think sometimes um, we, we think that just coming to church or listening about God or talking to people about God, that that's going to help us. But we're wrong because like James says, if my actions don't match what I say that I believe in, then I'm just deceiving myself. And we don't want to do that. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 24 and 25. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house. And it didn't fall because it was founded on that rock. So Ruth's relationship with God, we can see it in how she lived. And hopefully others can look at our lives and the relationship that we say we have with God, they're going to see it in the way that we live. In chapter 1, when Naomi told Ruth and Orpah to turn back to their mother's house, 
she was also basically telling them to turn back to their to their idols and to their false gods. And I thought it was kind of odd because Naomi kind of said it in the sense of a blessing. She said, the Lord grant you find rest in the house of, you know, your husband. In other words, go. the Lord bless you as you go back to your home. And I'm thinking, how is God going to bless them as they turn back? You know, because they're, they're turning back even to their false religions and to, to their idols. Seemed kind of, kind of an odd um, blessing that she tried to give them there. But remember what Ruth said and what Ruth did when Naomi said that to her? She said, your people shall be my people and your God will be my God. At that point, Ruth was committing her, her life to, to Yahweh, to that covenant God of Israel. And she was ready at that point to turn her back on the false gods that she had known. And she was ready to embrace the true and the living God. And she may not have known everything about him at that point. She didn't know everything about the God of Israel. But she knew enough to know that she wanted to follow him. That's all she needed to know. And each of us, if you're a Christian and you're a follower of Christ, and you're not just a follower of some real religion, each of us have done the same thing. We've turned our backs on those things that we once believed in, and we have begun to follow Christ. And it might have happened even like it did for Ruth. Because she saw something in the life of Naomi, something that she didn't see in the people around her, those who followed those go the gods of Moab. She saw something that was real, something that was powerful and loving in Naomi. And Ruth decided that she wanted to have it too. And so she turned her back on her gods and began to follow the god of Naomi. Maybe there was someone in your life who was a Christian and someone and you watched them, right? And you saw how they acted in certain situations, the things that they said, you watched what they did and you noticed there was something different and you decided that you wanted it and that you needed that same thing because those gods that you were following, they just didn't deliver on what they had promised. For example, that new job and that raise that came with it, it didn't solve your financial problems like you hoped. Or maybe that relationship that you, that finally you got that you were waiting for, it didn't feel that emptiness in your heart like you thought it would. Or maybe it's your religion. And it seems really disconnected to your daily life because you go through the motions, but you don't see any change in your life. Whatever it was, there, could, there was something that Ruth saw in Naomi. And for a lot of us, that's what brought us to Christ is we saw something in the life of another person. She saw something and it was enough to make her want to go and, and to know the God of Naomi. But for some of us, maybe it, it didn't happen like this. It could have been that God just prompted you to seek after him yourself. Maybe he revealed himself to you in a, in a personal way, in a powerful way, apart from the influence of any person. Maybe you remember the exact moment. Maybe it's really crystal clear in your mind because it, you remember hearing his voice and you felt his touch in such a way that that's really even hard for you to explain. And you have no doubt that, your love for, that his love for you is real. Or maybe you can't think of the exact moment. You can't pinpoint it because maybe for you it was a gradual process. Little by little, you had this unrest in your heart. Your soul began to search. And little by little, things began to happen. And you felt yourself being guided very, very gently. And it came to a point where one day you just realized that Jesus is real and that he loves you. And it really doesn't matter for each of us how that happened. But the important, the important thing is that it did happen. And at this point that you're following him right now. Or for you, maybe it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe not completely. That is, you might still be trying to follow your God, whatever that is, or your religion, and also following Jesus at the same time. And just a heads up, it's not going to work. <laughs> All right, a lot of us have tried that, and it just doesn't work. But like Ruth, you just need to turn to God completely. And when we turn to God, that implies that we're turning our back on something else, right? When we turn to God. But God, that's the only way he's going to honor your commitment, because he loves you way too much to share you with anyone or with anything else. That's the only way to do it is to turn to him fully. 
So we see Ruth's commitment to God in the way that she followed Naomi back to Bethlehem. That's one of the ways that we can see that she was committed to God. What else was it that Ruth did that showed her commitment to God? She loved Naomi. And it may seem obvious because after all, after all it was her mother-in-law. But I keep thinking of Naomi's comments when she got back to Bethlehem. And, and Trudy talked about this last week. Remember what she said in chapter 1? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt with very bitterly with me. I went out full, the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Does that sound like someone you want to love? <laughs> you know? But she showed love to her. John reminds us in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who doesn't love doesn't know God, because God is love. Also in 1 John, in chapter 3, and verse 18, John writes, and he says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And Ruth's love for Naomi was in deed and it was in truth. Her actions, such as returning back to Bethlehem with her and then going out to glean, supply their needs, these actions demonstrated her love. And our actions demonstrate our love to those people around us. Or as I put here, or sometimes they demonstrate my lack of love to people around me. <laughs> because, And I was thinking about it. What I do or don't do, it, it shows my love to the people around me. And sometimes I don't think it's not that I don't love the people around me, but it's just I love myself more. You know, I think, that's, I think that's what the problem ends up being. But our actions, our actions demonstrate our love. And this love was the thing that stood out the most about Ruth, it, about her life. Remember what, what was it that Boaz had said to her? It's been fully reported to me all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. So even the people there in Bethlehem, they saw Ruth's love for Naomi. So when people watch my life, when they see how I interact with my family, how I interact with my friends, my coworkers, even with complete strangers... Do they see love? The love that I show towards others is a reflection of my love for God. Because as the Apostle John said, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he hasn't seen? Right? Now, none of us have this ability within ourselves um, to love in this way. We just don't have it. It has to be the work of God's Holy Spirit inside of our hearts, transforming us and giving us that love. And as Christians, um, love has to be that distinguishing mark upon our lives. That's what Jesus said in John 13, verse 35. He said, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And Ruth's love for Naomi, as she demonstrated in her, by her commitment to her, her love to Naomi was seen by everyone, including Boaz. And that became an enduring mark of, of Ruth's legacy that she left there. So Ruth had a deep love and a devotion for Naomi. She had a loyalty to her. Ruth had that tremendous work ethic. She had a great respect then for Naomi. She was guided by God even when she didn't realize it. We also know that she had that humble spirit. And she demonstrated her commitment to God in the way that she followed Naomi back to Bethlehem. And also in the way that she loved Naomi once she was there. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible story. And I think you'll agree with me that Ruth is an amazing person. Because her love for God was manifested. It was revealed and demonstrated in her love and her service to those around her. Her humility, it was genuine. It wasn't, she wasn't faking it. it was, she, that's who she was. And God's exaltation of her was very, very powerful. And once she made up her mind to follow the God of Israel, nothing could dissuade her. Right? Nothing could cause her to change her mind. And everyone who knew her agreed that she was a woman of integrity and a woman of moral character. And... I don't know, but she sets the bar pretty high for us, ladies. You know, look at so many things in her life there. 
but with the Holy Spirit's help, we also can, can leave that same kind of a legacy, that legacy of love, that legacy of devotion, that legacy of humility that she had. And so let's try and make that our goal as we look at the example that she left for us. Please join me as we pray. Father, we just come to you with grateful hearts, Lord, knowing that as we read your word, Lord, we see things in our life that we're doing okay, but we see things, Lord, in our life that we need to do so much better. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace upon each of our lives, Lord, that it is your desire to transform us, Lord, to do that work, that same work in our hearts that you did in the life of, of Ruth, Lord. And we ask, God, that whatever those areas are, I ask for each woman here, Lord, whatever those little areas are that you have spoken to her about tonight, Lord, that she would step out in faith, Lord, and seek you and trust you, Lord, to make those changes in her life. That we would each, Father, take our walk with you seriously, Lord, in the sense that we set that example for those around us. Lord, that people would be able to look at our lives, Lord, in this dark, dark time that we live, Lord, and they would see the light of Christ. They would see the love that you have shed upon our hearts, Lord. And Father, when we mess up and we have that imperfect example, Lord, I ask that your grace would be there to cover it, Lord, and that you would just help us, Lord, to continue in that walk with you. And we thank you so much for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.